0: This week's podcast is brought to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the Center for Congregational Health and to find the help you need in order to thrive in mission and ministry. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Church Starts Conversation. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship and interviews of people doing groundbreaking work of partnering together and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from church starters, pastors, and practitioners. This is Andy Hale. This week's podcast will feature Kyle Tubbs in the third part of our conversation around the most common mistakes of church starts. I also want to let you know about several exciting upcoming episodes, including a later one in August with Melissa Rogers, who served on President Obama's administration's Faith and Neighborhood Coalition, along with Brian Zahn, the author of Farewell to Mars, and an upcoming interview with Curtis Freeman, the head of the Baptist House at Duke University Divinity School, as we have a conversation around his new book *Undomesticated Descent: Democracy and the Public Virtue of Religious Nonconformity*. If there is a guest or a topic you feel like we need to feature on this podcast, drop me an email at ahale@cbf.net, or you can find me on Twitter at haleandy or at cbfinfo. Now on to our conversation.
1: So this past Sunday at church, I, uh, I haven't been preaching this summer, but I am teaching the children's class in July. You know, it's a great way for me to get to know the kids and them get to know me a little bit better. And, uh, one of the kids is a big time rule follower. And so we, we needed like, uh, sermon went a little long. I needed to kill about five minutes. I made some crayons out. So I, uh, I took two crayons that looked very similar in color and I I had one of them in my lap and I took the other one out and I showed the kids and I snapped it in half. And then of course, you know, I like uh, discarded it down and picked up the other crayon and, or, you know, and and showed it off. Like I was able to, you know, put the uh, crayon back together. And the, and a couple of kids like, Oh, how did you do that? That's amazing. They were so, they were just so thrilled. And the rule follower kid next to me, was so heartbroken and looked at me and said, why would you break the church's crayons? (laughs) And I felt so ashamed that I would break the church's crayons. And I was like, you are so right.
0: (laughs) Wow. You know, that that kid never needs to watch Bambi because if it gets graphically if it gets any worse than that he might not be able to come back
1: yeah he's a great kid with a heart of gold um but he did you know like i don't he's probably six or seven and the magic trick didn't matter at all the fact that i snapped the church's crayons they weren't mine it's like
0: (laughs) wasn't right go ahead and put him on the finance committee now because like every (laughs) single penny penny matters uh, Kyle, this is probably, you probably will be scratching your head at this, um, why you were invited on for the third part, <laughs> your second part of talking about the most common mistakes of of church start. This isn't going to your, you know, against your psyche. It's not putting a dent that we're going to end up putting you in counseling later on, is it?
1: <laughs> no, I think that it probably has to do with a strength of mind called availability.
0: <laughs> of course not course this has everything to do with your success and telling others what not to do not by experience so hey uh, this is the third part and maybe the final I don't know it might be the final part <laughs> but probably not Of uh, the most common mistakes of church starts uh, if you recall from our last conversation I uh, began with this really terrible frozen joke talking about them pushing off the release date of frozen 2 uh, which led into our conversation around sometimes you just got to let people go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's heartbreaking, and it hurts, and it sounds very ungrace-filled, but you know you do. Uh, for your <laughs> sake, for the help of the con- congregation, you have to do it. And then we talked a little bit about um, the fact that ministers sometimes lack boundaries, personal boundaries, mm-hmm. professional boundaries uh, spiritual boundaries, all sorts of boundaries. And we got into the nitty gritty of that. So if you didn't catch that podcast, you can listen to part two, uh, and then, you know, just hit pause here and come back to this episode. So you know, Andy,
1: just so you know, I've been, uh, since our last podcast, I've been working really hard at making mistakes so that I could be prepared for this uh, podcast. So yeah, uh, I'm ready. Lots of mistakes to talk about. Yeah.
0: Who cares the people that, you know, you broke their heart, um, push them away from the church, you know, that your wife won't talk to you anymore. But you did it. You did it. You did it for the sake of our (laughs) listeners. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, uh, where do we begin this conversation as we talk around most common mistakes of church starts? Probably one thing that not a lot of people like to talk about unless they're, um, I guess, a negative person. But uh, church starts fail from time to time. In fact, uh, Mm -hmm. depending on who you talk to, um, it's anywhere between 60 to 75% of church starts fail. Now I'm happy to say within CBF, we have a 99.9% success rate with our church starts. Um, but a lot of that is coming from learning from the experience of others. Um, and one of the number one reasons that church starts fail has nothing to do with the finances, has nothing to do with the style of worship or the programs. It has to do with the minister. Um, and outside of church, starting with the simple fact that ministers are burning out and quitting at a very high rate. Thoughts on that, Kyle? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, um, I I don't have the stats in front of me, uh, but I know they're they're high, and uh, I know uh, just a lot of churches uh, and, and who are struggling with uh, burnout. Ministers are struggling with burnout. I know in our uh, church start, we've we've had a problem not only with um, our leaders burning out, but just people, um, it, uh, people of uh, all different levels of involvement. Um, it's a lot of work to uh, start a church. Someone asked me this week uh, why, th- they asked me if I could talk them out of starting a church. And so I had to think back through, like, what are some of the, you know, really things. And one of the top three things that I came up with was just the amount of work that goes into starting a church. Uh, it, if you're a creative person, there's uh, a lot of benefit to constantly being able to create, but creating takes a lot of energy. And um, so I think it's really important to, uh, actually we talked about last time about some boundaries um, but today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, leading ourselves and leading others. And uh, when we share in our leadership with other people, then we're taking burdens um, off of ourselves and we're sharing it um, among all of us. And, uh, and then it's, it's not as heavy and we're able to celebrate with each other more. We're able to share uh, burdens more. And um, so that's what I have to say about that. Andy. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, if you really want to go for accurate stats on burnout rate or anything, you got to go to the same websites that have those fantastic quotes um, from Abraham Lincoln or all the things he's credited with. Um, Yeah, so burnout happens for a lot of reasons. And I think theologically speaking, we all know that uh, Christ is the head of the church, but oftentimes we feel like we are the head because it's constantly... Um, we are the recipients of people's frustration, people's anger, people wrestling with their journey. And so, um, you know, oftentimes pastors take on um, the whole weight, it feels mm. like, of the church. Um, and theologically, that, that shift has to take place. Now, oftentimes it depends on what tradition you're in, that you have to educate your congregation on, um, that you are one of many uh, within this congregation. Uh, but sometimes it's a personal mentality. It's a personal uh, temperament and a psychological uh, standpoint, where you 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 see and you take on everything that's happening mm-hmm. on around you, and so I think one of the key things of of preventing burnout is to make a tremendous theological shift within your life, where you recognize and embrace um, the fact that you cannot take this all on your own because you are not called to take it all on your own, mm-hmm. and and finding ways certainly to share that, and we'll talk about that I guess in a bit as we talk about uh, leading others, but sharing that responsibility, sharing sharing that weight, but I think one of the key things around that is, is reframing this idea of failure and reframing this idea of, of success.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we first started the the church, um, somebody at one of our sponsored churches, uh, they told me something that inspired me then, and it still inspires me now. Um, they said that, uh, that when they started their church, the church was something like 20 or 25 years old uh, at, the, at this time. And they, they said that when they first started, they said that they were more concerned with faithfulness rather than success. So they were constantly seeking God's call and God's vision for their church. And then they would operate out of that. And so uh, their scorecard looked differently than uh than the metrics that we often use for determining success, and uh, that was really important for us early on. It, it became a source of encouragement. We didn't um, we didn't worry on weeks where we had lower attendance or uh, maybe when the, our budget wasn't as high as we wish it could be. Um, but over the last couple of years, I have started to realize that. Um, I don't need to completely stay away from success and failure language that, uh, I failed and that is okay. That to me, the, the most important thing is resiliency. Um, I'm going to have bad sermons. I am going to say the wrong thing in a business meeting. I'm going to hurt someone's feelings. I am going to not spend as much time with my family as I have. Uh, there's going to be times where I, I fail, um, but that's okay. What I do is I just learn from it, I identify it, and uh, I move on. And uh, thinking about the church, it's, it's the same way. I mean, the church can make really big mistakes. They can go the wrong way, start focusing on something. Um, I know that our church, uh, we had to have a culture change about a year ago where we started, uh, we, we started to prioritize service more and grace more and love, uh, we decided that it was much more important for us to, uh, to love one another than to be, than to try to be right. And, um, what I realized though, is I couldn't lead the church without leading myself. I had to lead myself first. So if I wanted the church to be committed, I had to be committed. If I wanted the church to be positive, I had to be positive. Uh, if I wanted uh, the church to come to discussions from a grace-filled posture, I had to come from a grace-filled posture. Uh, I had to lead myself with my family. Uh, I had to lead myself in the community, right? Uh, it, it did start with me, and uh, I've, made, I've made lots of mistakes along the way and still haven't figured it all out. And, um, but I do know that I, I, I've got to lead myself because if I'm not leading myself right— if I'm not anchored in our own core values, there's just no way that I can lead our church in our own core values.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's, I'm actually now starting to have a better understanding of why Peace of Christ had to rebrand from grace because um, our listeners don't know this, but um, when you all were grace, you were uh, engaging in church discipline, um, including <laughs> uh, public uh, flogging and putting people in stocks out in the, uh, the courtyard. So, it, you know, it's, it is a tremendous story, a success story that you'll have transitioned away from that.
1: Uh, just to make sure to our, um, zillions of listeners out there, that's not true. We, uh, we, we still want to be people of grace and we weren't flogging anyone. Although there were a few times that I did wonder if, uh, if I was really going to identify with Jesus and they were going to take me outside after the service and crucify me. uh...
0: (laughs) Or you could have the the Luke 4 Jesus where they try to go throw him off the uh, side of the hill and it says Jesus just walked through the crowd, whatever that looked like. I just imagine him humming by everybody as he walked past them. But uh, no, it's so true. I mean, you you talk about something that, that is so key to this and that's and that's where you have to have a personal uh, philosophy. You have to have a personal understanding of how you view success, how you view failure, how you communicate those things. I think the expectation and the culture for for ministers for so long is that we want our ministers to be, to be perfect, or if they're imperfect, we just don't want to see it and hear about it. Um, but I think there's something to be said about a minister who's honest about their shortcomings, about their weaknesses, about saying words at times they shouldn't say, but... I think we miss out on the opportunity for us to receive grace and love from our congregations um, when we don't own those mistakes, when we don't own those uh, poor choices. Uh, so I, I think there's a, a lot to be said, um, you know, about owning those things. Um, and I think it helps you reframe what failure looks like, what success looks like. It helps you share share in that. Um, you you seem more real to people, uh, more approachable as, as a minister.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can remember a, uh, a mentor of mine early on. Uh, it was at the second church I was called to I first went there as a youth minister and later became associate pastor. But, uh, he told me, he said, this is the type of church where it's okay to make mistakes. They're going to show you grace and they're going to love you for your mistakes. And the ignorant side of me was like, what mistakes am I going to make? Um, <laughs> there was a, there was mistakes to be made. Uh, and as I go into ministry and I, I, I started, uh, maybe my, the, I couldn't figure out how to put my vision into reality or I, uh, I reacted in ways that I wish I wouldn't have, or I let my emotions, uh, take control of me and, and, and reacted in unhealthy ways or, uh, you know, there's times I wasn't prepared or, uh, I I started to realize that I was going to need grace. And uh, the first thing I started doing was showing myself grace. And with our church start, I've tried to make that a priority, um, showing people that you have to give yourself grace first. And if you give yourself grace, um, other people will give themselves grace. And then we all start giving each other grace because we are loving our neighbor as ourselves. Whoever it was that said that. (laughs)
0: As we're talking about this whole idea of failure and owning up to it, I, I keep remembering that infamous podcast uh, slip up that I, I shared with you way back when, you know, a, a phrase or word that was said in the sermon that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's never going to be heard outside of when it happened that day because, uh, you know, podcast editing, which I think is a good reason that I should never do Facebook live preaching. <laughs> um, there's just yeah. too much in there to, to fix and to cut out. But there's also another piece, I think, of burnout that... I think we have to be really delicate in talking about this, but I think it's something that isn't said because oftentimes when you speak about it, uh, it gets people riled up for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think for church starting, certainly, um, and I'm not saying this for the traditional church, I am a little biased. I have served both in the traditional setting and in church starts. And I think church starting is the most difficult calling of ministry, just because of the traditional pastoral role expectation on top of being a, a fundraiser, creating things from scratch, uh, oftentimes being bi-professional, just on and on and on. But there's one thing as as we are having conversations with church starters, as we're trying to get to know them more, is to really get down to the character of a person. Now, I'm not talking about the, you know, their ethics. Um, I, I, I really, what I guess the two words that come to mind for me is... I want to see if somebody has some gusto and some mm-hmm. fortitude. Yeah. Um, because I think there's often the case that too often we quit uh, when we shouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, ministry is difficult. Every vocation has their, uh, their difficult circumstances. Certainly if you're in a very toxic culture that's unhealthy for you, for your family, uh, for the congregations, there's reasons, yes, that you need to quit and move on. But I think sometimes we're just quitters Hmm. and and we don't know how to stick it out. We don't know how to dig our heels in and and to keep pushing and to keep trying day after day after day. And I think oftentimes uh, ministers, uh, whether the failure of theological education or mentors, we don't equip ourselves with the avenues to deal with things that make you quit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peer learning groups, coaching, those types of things. But to me, that's a huge Huge thing um that if you lack gusto, if you lack fortitude, then quitting seems to make more sense than than sticking it out
1: mhm yeah, so uh about a year ago, uh we were going through some pretty tough times at the church uh we had some having to deal with some conflict, there was some bullying going on among some members um, we had we some members had to go, others. Um, We wish they would go. We asked them to go or they wanted other people to go. It was just it was pretty tough. And um, we came together as a church and and we had a a session. We called it the pastoral roundtable where we crafted some questions and people really got to share. And there was just it was really, really tough to hear um, some of the hard things going on in the church. And, uh, I started to realize that there was, uh, a lot of unhealthiness going on in the church. And, uh, I felt some guilt cause I thought I started this thing. I can't blame it on anybody else. I can't say, oh yeah, well, there must be the minister before me, or it must be a culture that somebody created. I thought, gosh, I, I you know, we, we like at our church to give freedom and space, but I gave so much freedom and space that, uh, some unhealthiness creeped in and it got to the point where I was asking myself, do I want to keep doing this? Mm. Um, and I mean, I had conversations with my wife. You know, well, what would happen if I quit? You know, well, maybe I should just I should just work on my dissertation. Um, you know, what else could I do to to maybe make some money in the the meantime? Or you know, do I need to update my resume? That that sort of stuff. And uh, through some prayer and meditation, and uh, we just decided that we weren't going to quit. So uh, that very first step of the, of deciding that we were committed. And, uh, and sharing with the church that we were committed and modeling that commitment uh, made a big difference. And it's, it's amazing the people who stuck with us through those really tough times How we bonded together. And uh, a year later, we're in a much healthier place. Uh, we had to make a lot of really tough decisions. And, um, but we're on, a, we're on a really good trajectory now. And, and uh, our, our worship has uh, become a really safe healing space. And uh, there's had, again, there's had to be um, some people go, but uh, our our place, uh, Peace of Christ Church has really become a, a place of, of peace and uh, and restoration, and uh, we couldn't have done. I mean, if we had we really quit, we would have quit in the middle of uh, of a big conflict situation, and it would have been a it would have been really tough for a lot of people, including myself, to heal from that, but. Uh, we stayed. We stayed through healing. Now I know that there's different uh, different churches go through different things, so I can't project on every church. But I know at least for us, our decision not to quit and our decision to, to tough it out through the tough times has made us all the stronger. And uh, and we we truly love each other more. We have such a profound sense of community going through that with one another. Uh, there's a high level of trust. And I don't think we could have re- we could have gone to this new place without going through that conflict.
0: I don't know why you had to uh, clarify yourself there. It's not like people listen to podcasts and read blogs and then take it upon themselves to rip it apart as if you're speaking <laughs> to all contexts and all situations. <laughs> no, it's uh, as you listen to it, I, I think church serves face that often. And certainly, um, you know, church starting is a microcosm of the church and ministry as a whole. And then, then all ministers deal with this. Um, yeah, I've been in similar places. We, uh, in fact, this time last year, we had a, a spree of families relocating, some families leaving, um, you know, identifying that Mosaic was not the church for them for any number of reasons. Um, I think of one particular example, we had a family that, um, came to us a few years earlier and they came to us and the reason they told us they were going to join mosaic was because they had always been a part of large churches where they were facing the crowd and they want to find a church where they could find community, not programs. And then when they <laughs> got on the phone with me last year to tell me they were leaving, they told me, us that they were leaving because they wanted a larger church of programs. But, um, in the middle of that, um, uh, yeah, I was in the same place. Um, and I think part of that is, and I don't, I don't say this self-righteously, I don't say this um, boastfully, was having um, having almost a spiritual awakening to realize that if I did not catch myself, I was going to bear this entire thing all by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, which in 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 this process was realizing that that is what I had done. Every time someone had left, every time there was a conflict, I was absorbing it as if it was a blow to my abdomen. Um, and, and I had to make a conscious decision this time, that that was not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I called a, a a meeting with our church leadership and everyone came middle of week, you know, quick 24 hour response. Everybody was there. And I just shared with them. This was, this was, uh, what we didn't know was the end of a streak of losing some folks that we had cared for dearly. And I looked at these people and I said, um, I, I can't do this. Um, I, I need your help. I need you to help bear this weight. I need you to help bear some of this responsibility. And it was a very vulnerable moment for me because I think if they didn't, then I never would have come back from it. But the fact that they did and they took ownership and um, cared for me deeply in that moment that um, I, I was able to make that shift. Now, I mean, certainly it, it hurts. I mean, we, ministers need to know this, not like we have to explain this. We know that there's situations that hurt. We know that there's people that are going to stab you in the back. They're going to say one thing to your face and say another thing behind your back. But, but grinning and bearing through it oftentimes is the best example um, mm-hmm. because we're teaching people the, the strength needed in, in a long life journey. and a a very difficult faith journey at times. And and that might be a good place to kind of bring us to this next place around uh, some common mistakes of church starting, common mistakes of leaders, which is uh, choosing not to model the way. Um, Workplace Big Five has got these key aspects of leadership. Um, One of the key pieces as you uh, look at yourself as a leader and as you have other people measure you as a leader as well, kind of one of these 365 type type of leadership profiles, is they talk about modeling the way. And what it's really getting down to is that um, oftentimes we have these expectations on others and we're not fulfilling them ourself. Um and, and that's a key piece of leading others is is actually doing the very things that you want others to do. Makes a lot of sense when you really think about it, but how easy it is mm-hmm. to forget that as we go about our uh, the minutiae of day-to-day uh, work within the church.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can remember, um, I had a, uh, a pastoral mentor of mine tell me, they said, uh, within five years, um, everything that goes on at your church is, uh, going to be a reflection and some, whether directly or indirectly of how you're leading, um, the, the culture, uh, you know, the, the way I, I heard culture defined is just sort of the way, the way we do things around here. And, uh, People are going to follow what you do. So uh, if you model a good way uh, and uh, hopefully it's the way of Christ, it's not just, you know, you're not just having to figure out a way to, to, to lead you're, you're, you're following Christ, but, but if you do that, then hopefully your people will also follow you in that culture. But if you're combative or unreliable or if you're angry or vindictive or you know, there's lots of, de- lots of really unhealthy ways to lead. Uh, people will follow you in that way also. So, I, I, I mean, what did Jesus' followers do? They, tr- they tried to demonstrate the love that he demonstrated. That's why the earliest followers were called followers of the way. They, they, so um, <laughs> the earliest followers understood this, this uh, idea from the big five of modeling the way.
0: Well, uh, everybody, but Judas, I mean, <laughs> let's, let's not forget that guy. Uh, Hey, that's a fun ecclesial reminder for today as well.
1: There are Judases in your church. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's true,
1: And yet, and Jesus had to wash his feet also. And that's yeah. pretty, that is tough. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, it's part of, it's part of mulling the way. And, and, and probably what we need to do is, is kind of begin to break this down. Uh, not that, not to speak that our, our, our audience isn't coherent enough to understand what we're talking about, but I think this matters for all different types of ministry contexts where you find yourself as a uh, campus pastor and you are simply leading the staff that's under you. If your primary role is to preach every Sunday, um, and, and, and every different types of setting, I think this matters um, because modeling the way in, involves how you want to go about your philosophy of ministry, but how you want your church to go about, um, his philosophy of of life together mm-hmm. I, and I, I, some of the most important pieces around that is leading others by valuing presence um you mm-hmm. know, the great henry now has a lot of wonderful things to say um and and one of his most impactful quotes and i'm not going to sit here and try to quote it verbatim uh, but basically talks about that oftentimes we we come around a great calls all of a sudden we find ourselves um, creating committees and meetings. And all of a sudden our time is taken up with all the minutia of all these things. And, and he says, I've, I've come to realize there's something powerful about the ministry of presence mm-hmm. of knowing people by name of sharing meals with them, of walking life day to day with them. Um, and I don't think there can be enough said around the importance of ministry of presence as we lead other people. Um, that too often the church becomes work, the projects and initiatives of the church become work and we forget that there's value in the people that are behind those things.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, that is one thing I love about church starting, uh, especially being the church starter is, uh, being here from the beginning and, uh, As people come in, I get to know everyone as they're on their way in. I mean, at the last church I was at, it wasn't a massive church, but it was four or 500 total members, and it took a really long time to get to know most of the people, and I never got to know everybody at the church. Um, But I I think you're totally spot on when we talk about the importance of uh, being a presence with people. Um, I've learned the importance of just sitting with people, um, you know, in, in seminary, I learned a lot about how to study the Bible and how to do translation. And uh, I read a lot of books, and so much of that was really important. So I'm not like, an, I'm not anti academic here, by the way, uh, uh, with what I'm about to say. But one of the most important things that I've ever learned is just to sit with people. I mean, how you, how you respond in a health crisis or a tragedy that can positively or negatively affect your ministry uh, for quite some time. Um, I mean, not only do people need it, which is a really good reason to do it, um, you're able to establish a trust and an intimacy with people when you sit with them that I just don't think can be replaced. Uh, I send a lot of emails and a lot of texts, and we do a lot of uh, we utilize technology a lot at our church. I mean, we don't have a traditional office, but I just don't think that a face-to-face uh, interaction uh, can be completely replaced. There are times, especially in tough conversations, or if you're needing to, to visit with someone about something challenging, or if they have something that is really heavy or weighty, um, sitting with people and visiting with them in that way uh there's something about that interaction that that I just don't think can be replaced um talking about um leading others uh i I remember my very first call it was at a, a small church in a very small town in Texas. it was uh like we, they literally had zero stop signs, i mean zero stoplights um i mean they didn't even have stop signs there was inter- intersections but you just had the i mean a lot of dirt roads where, you know, you you stopped as you came up to the, the roads. And um, the call was super encouraging. Uh, I, I love those people. I still love those people. They're great. But um, so this, the call happened on a Sunday. And, uh, you know, came Sunday morning, came Sunday night. Thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to teach. and I'm going to get to preach. And uh, I'm going to get to fulfill so many of these things I've been learning and dreaming about. And then Monday morning came and uh, one of the deacons who will not be named on this podcast, there's not, there's not much of a chance he's listening to this podcast right now, but
0: Lord Voldemort, <laughs> he, he must not be named.
1: <laughs> he, uh, he gives me a call and says, Hey, will you, uh, you want to go get coffee? I'm sure this is going to be great. I'm going to get to know somebody in the church. And uh, he start, he'd been a church member since the womb and he was in his seventies and he starts telling me like, every church conflict that's happening, and he feels about every other member in the church. And, uh, it was at that moment where I realized I'm not just going to be teaching and preaching. I'm actually going to have to, to lead people here. And it was, it was really terrifying. Uh, <laughs> cause I had, I just hadn't thought much about leadership up to that point. Um, since then I learned quite a bit and I, I had a great relationship with that guy. And, um, and in that church, But I've realized that, um, you have to, if you don't lead people that like your church is going to be in chaos. Um, I I found the importance of, uh, following, finding really positive, committed people who support the mission vision core values of your church and leading through them. Um, I found that I know that we've talked a lot about some negative experiences and learning from, uh, learning from those, but I really think that most people are good. I think that um, most people will uh, follow along with you, um, especially if you're leading them to a good place. Um, If you've sat with them in those tough times, if you have responded in their health crisis or their tragedy, um, I think people will be with you. Um, I've learned the importance of appreciating good staff. I mean, when you have a good staff person, and somebody that you can trust or somebody that you really consider to be a colleague and someone that, um, you know, sort of a battle buddy with you, uh, appreciate those people because, you know, they could change vocations. You could change, you could, people can move those sorts of things. You don't always have that. Um, and if you, if you can appreciate good staff and, or, or even just any good leader in, in your church start, it really helps you lead. Um, I've learned the importance. I said this earlier, but, Uh, the importance of loving one another uh, more than just trying to be right. Uh, I've learned the importance of holding things lightly. Uh, I've learned the importance of service. Um, I think it's Shane Claiborne that says, uh, tolerance says I put up with you, but hospitality says I'll put you up. So uh, just serving people, loving people, going the extra mile for, for, You know, both friends and enemies, whoever it is, uh, this it's really important to have relationships with people when you're leading. You 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 just you can't just stand in the pulpit and tell people what you want them to do. You've got to serve them. You got to show them where you're going, and you've got to ask them to to join you. And then, and obviously, we're not just leading; we're following Christ. Um, What do you think about that, Andy?
0: I don't know. I think it's kind of ironic you're talking about um loving people and thinking they're generally good. And I think I see a copy of Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion. Like all seven volumes behind you.
1: That would that's definitely not on my bookshelf. So yeah. I, don't know, I don't know what you're seeing, but uh.
0: it's a good thing Calvin wasn't a church starter because man, that guy hated people. He <laughs> sure hated people. Um yeah. rest in peace. Um no, I mean, it seems so simple when we talk about it. Yet I don't, I don't know. We just forget it as ministers. Um, we forget the people that pour into us, that helped form us, that continue to help form us. Um, I think a key piece on there, depending on your temperament, is uh, to remember, remember to express gratitude to people.
1: Mm, um, yeah, that's really
0: good. You know that people need to be thanked. People need to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in finding ways, it seems so simple to treat others in the way that we want to be treated. Um, but when you lead others, um, you find that the weight and responsibility of the church is not on your shoulders, um, but you carry it with a group of people and community together. And it's still going to be ugly. It's still going to hurt. Um, but if if people can still walk away from that, despite if they might have theological differences with, with you, despite the fact that they might have a different ecclesiology than you, uh, maybe they could at least say that you valued them and you loved Mm -hmm. them as Christ did. Um, I think that's pretty successful for a pastor.
1: Yeah. I I think you're spot on with the encouragement uh, piece. I I remember when I did the big five and uh, there were quite a few other leadership inventories that did around the same time that uh, some of the the feedback I was getting—it wasn't that I was discouraging toward people, but my the encouragement part was generally lower. Uh, I, I just wasn't—I wasn't a great encourager. And so, on my Google Calendar, once a week, I have it listed to make sure to encourage leadership, encourage pastors, encourage staff. You know, these the the people that I know I'm going to have direct uh, interactions with. So I literally have to remind myself. To thank people for doing things, you know, when when someone stays to help uh, clean up, I need to make sure to thank them. I mean, it's a it's a very good thing for <laughs> for them to do. And I part of it with me comes out of uh, I I'm a self starter and I have high expectations of myself, so I often just assume other people have high expectations of themselves, and I don't really feel that I need to be thanked. It's just not really a priority for me, but. Um, so I think I probably project that onto others also. I just assume oh, other people, they'll, they'll have high expectations for themselves. They don't need to be thanked, that sort of thing. And it's not true at all. A lot of people really find motivation when they, uh, when they're, somebody is telling them that they are gracious for their work and, uh, it helps you, it helps you connect with people. Um, I'm still not the, that's something that I'm not great at. It's something that I, I'm constantly working on. I assume it'll probably always be something I have to work on. But uh, when people do good things, tell them, that's great. That's good. Um, I, I I just think you're spot on there, Andy.
0: Hey, Kyle. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Thanks for your wisdom. Uh, thanks for your hard work. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for just very, generally being an awesome friend and person.
1: You know, Andy, I didn't necessarily need to hear that. But now that I hear that, it just really encourages me that, you know, if there's going to be a part, uh, what are we on, part 57 of this series or whatever else, I, I'd love to I'd love to come back. You know why? Because of you, Andy. Because <laughs> of you and the wonderful people at the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and how you lead church starting. I mean, without you, what would we do? You know, it's so funny. I, I, at CVF General Assembly this year, I don't know if you remember this, but the very last night after commissioning, I came up to you and I, I told you that I appreciated you. And it was a, a tad bit of an awkward uh, interaction because I prefaced it, prefaced it with something like, like and yet just want you, I'm not kidding, but I really appreciate everything you're doing. Just, <laughs> it was like, because I wanted to make sure you, you knew I was being purposeful. I wasn't uh, being sarcastic or mocking somebody else or something like that. I wanted you to know that you were appreciated. So even in my, uh, the way I encourage people, I, I am a little awkward, but I, I do it nonetheless.
0: Hey, believe it or not, I remember. <laughs> hey, before we go, um, because ultimately we're going to get to the fourth and fifth uh, version of this, I, I do have to clarify, uh, this is how much of a church history dork that I am. Um, Calvin technically wrote three volumes of uh, the Institute. Sometimes you can find it in two volumes. There's not seven volumes. I didn't want you know purists to listen to this and, and immediately find that to be at fault. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's probably a pretty large Calvinist audience that... Uh, follows me around and all the things that I say. So they'll, they'll, they'll find this blog. And, uh, that's probably a good idea that you clarified there.
0: Yeah. Well, off to Geneva. Have a good day. (laughs) Thanks, Andy. Well, before we let you go, we need to spotlight one more of our sponsors today, CBF Dawnings. The meaning and value of Dawnings is different for individuals and communities. For churches, Dawnings is a biblical framework for local congregational life informed by the practices of Jesus. Practically, it offers a basic infrastructure for a congregation's life together. For individuals, Dawnings is a rhythm of daily and seasonal living that helps individuals orient their personal lives to God's dream for the world and God's mission in it. For CBF, Dawnings is a new way of relating to its partners, individuals, churches, and organizations. Dawnings encourages and enables shared vision and collaboration among these partners while informing CBS initiatives for resourcing congregations. For everyone involved, Dawnings is a shared way of life that anticipates our future while honoring both our recent and ancient past. As a way of proceeding clearly, it helps to distinguish between Dawnings the idea, or simply Dawnings, and Dawnings the process. Visit cbfdawnings.org for more information or to submit an application for a retreat. As we go, we want to give a special thank you to the Center for Congregational Health and CBF Dawnings for sponsoring today's episode. Visit cbfchurchstarts.net for more information about CBF Church Start Initiative, along with blogs from our church starters from across the fellowship and around the United States.